Good evening and welcome to episode 22 of the 3 on 3 podcast. Another weekend of elite action. We're recording on Sunday as the Elite League shuts down for the week due to the Euro Hockey Challenge next week. And as we kind of talked last week, results got even more crazier this weekend. And I'm sure we'll mention it once or twice. I know one person may mention a particular result on a couple of occasions. As ever, we have the Elder of the Parish, uh, John, and I'm I'm going to happy-ish Scott on this evening. Gents, how are you? I'm all right. How are you guys? Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, uh, mixed bag weekend. Yeah, that's a fair, fair, fair set of you guys. We'll go on to that very shortly. Uh, our guest voice um, brings up his third appearance, and I'm... I'm adamant, given the score lines this weekend, not just in hockey, but in other sports, he's grinning like a Cheshire cat. Um, so uh, this could be an interesting episode. Um, Ross Jardine back on the podcast. Ross, I'll not ask how are you, because I know that answer, but uh, you keep it well, and thanks for giving up your time this evening. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a good weekend for sport. Very happy. Um, not if you're John. Um, so... Very quickly over the we, um, the weekend, as it's finished, the last game finished about an hour or so ago, um, Belfast and Sheffield with four points, Nottingham with three points. Uh, Fife, Glasgow, Coventry, Dundee with two points, but some of them only played once. Cardiff with a singular point this evening um, after losing 6-0 yesterday to Coventry. Uh, Manchester and Guildford with the null point. Uh Gents, your highlights. Uh, my highlight is uh, wow, it's got to be six 0 against Cardiff and um, the sensitive fan base, and they all went home sad, and they are a little bit sadder this evening as well after only getting one point this weekend in their title challenge. Uh, my highlight for the weekend is. All the teams are back in the race again. Kind of. If ever an answer was sitting on the fence, that was it. Um, my highlight, um, I've got a Nick Scott's. Um, I can't really go on about Sheffield because I watched the game tonight and I was bored. It was a really poor game. But uh, the Coventry scoreline against Cardiff, no one expected that. Um it's so a fair play to uh, to Coventry um, and Hosler getting the, the shutout. But again, in fairness, we, we mock his answer, but it does keep that title race absolutely open on the four-horse race. Um, Sheffield somehow still in that gallop. So we'll go on to the, um, the first uh, part, and it's a bit of a special, different bit. Uh, as we uh, managed to get, I say we, Scott managed to get an interview with... Coventry and Great Britain defender David Clements. Um, Scott, do you just want to give a little intro to that before we uh, put the interview on? Yeah, um, had a little sit down, little 15, 20 minute sit down with David to talk about the, how the blaze season has been going and uh, more importantly, how the uh, the upcoming GB fixtures are for the Euro Challenge and what his thoughts were going into the Worlds. So, here's the interview with Scott and David Clements. Joining me now is Coventry Blaze and GB defenceman David Clements. David, how are you, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. Thanks for having me. 
no problem. So we wanted to get you on to talk about the Coventry Blaze season and uh, the upcoming GB fixtures. Um, Coventry Blaze are on the course for their best finish in 10 years, barring obviously the COVID season where we were absolutely flying. Um, we've pretty much cemented fifth. How's the season been for you, David? And even though it's been a good season, do you feel like we could have done a little bit more this season? Yeah, well, um, like you said, it is going to, well, at, at the moment, it looks like it's going to be our best season for a long time. Um, obviously, we got off to a really good start as in Guildford were kind of battling it out for first for a while there, and which was good to see uh, some other teams at the top of the table. And I think that start has helped us be where we are now. In saying that, uh, could we be a little bit higher up the table? I think so. Um, you know, obviously, from away from us, other teams have found their form. I don't think Guildford's obviously dropped any kind of form throughout the year. Um, you know, Sheffield, Cardiff and Belfast were always going to find their form. Um, I think we were ahead of Belfast for a long time because they had some CHL games and had to play catch up a little bit, uh, which we knew they were going to work their way up. And, um, you know, Cardiff, like I said, Cardiff and Sheffield are always going to find their form. At some points, they're two quality teams. Um, in saying that, you know, for for whatever reason, before Christmas, we went on a bit of a a bit of a slump for five six games there, and um, which which is a shame really, because I think if we would have got you know out of those six games or five games, I think we lost on on the bounce. If we would have you know gained half of those points, it'd be a lot closer, um, at, you know, in, to that fourth or third spot. Um, but, it, you know, we, we, we have faced a, a little bit of adversity this year, as, as well as any other team does. Um, you know, losing Radic was a huge miss for us, I thought. Um, I thought he was an amazing player. He was a great sentiment. He really helped us offensively and defensively. So losing him was a, a bit of a miss. And, um I think Stewie said it in a few of his interviews recently. Uh, we've been in, you know, other than one or two games, I think we've been in every single game in the third period this year. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there's been two or three games against Belfast in the Skydome. We've had two or three goal leads and lost them in the third period. Uh, we've had leads against Sheffield. We've had you know, overtime and third period losses against Cardiff. And if they go the other way, you know, we're we're second, third or fourth. So, um, but like you said, we're cemented kind of, you know, I think it's like 13, 14 points above Nottingham in fifth right now. Um, but, you know, we, we still have a lot of hockey left and we want to keep pushing for that fourth, third or, you know, second spot. And even first, I mean... It, I'm not sure Guildford, with the form that they're on, are going to drop many points in the rest of the season. But, um, you know, we've been on a run after Christmas before that COVID year. And uh, I think if we go on a bit of a run here, we, and we've got some, got some games like this weekend against uh, Cardiff and Sheffield, if we can take some points off them, and we might find ourselves pushing up the table a little bit. It's good to see that the, uh, the mood in the camp is good. I want to talk about the decor this year. It's... Uh... One of the best I've seen in recent seasons. Um, started the season out, you started with uh, Tanner Lashinsky, and obviously, unfortunately, Halbert's had a, an injury. Now you're playing with Garrett Johnson, which I think 
he's a bit of a Rolls Royce defenseman. How has this season been for you? Because you personally, you're on for your biggest points production season. But what's the decor been like in the room, and how have you enjoyed it? No, it's been it's been really good this year. Really fun to be a part of. Um, you know, I think I think we all complement each other really well this year. We've got a bit a little bit of everything. Um, you know, uh, everyone can play defensively in front of Pav. Um, and I think at the start of the season, that was one of our biggest strengths was uh, keeping the puck out of our net and um, getting the puck into the forwards' hands as quick as possible. And, we're, you know, you've got Halby and, and Brady Norris, who are arguably a top two pair in, in, on any team in the league. Um, you know, Halby offensively this year, unfortunately, until he got injured, was he's over a point per game and he, he is absolutely flying. Um, and Brady complimented him really well. He's an absolute workhorse. He he's good on the puck. He he's he's strong. He, he's good on his feet too. So they complimented each other really well. And then Johnson got to play with his freedom offensively, like he can. He, he's really good offensively. He's a smooth skater. Um, moves the puck really well. And then Kukali complimented him with being more of a stay-at-home, simple defenseman, uh, kind of taking charge in the D zone there. And then it's been fun to meet uh, playing with Tanner because he is, again, just an absolute workhorse, keeps things simple. He battles for every puck, probably battles for, for, for me more than he should should have. But um, it was really fun playing with him. And then obviously Halby got injured, which mixed things up a little bit. And, you know, when you have to play with a, a, a new D partner, things can be thrown off a little bit. Not used to going into certain spots and... Uh, covering for guys when you know you, you're not really used to it. So playing with Johnny was great offensively. You know we moved the puck well together. Um, and shout out to Forbesy as well, who has been incredible on D since he's come back. He, he uh, come back to help us out. He's fit in absolutely perfectly. So, um, but yeah, playing with playing with Tanner is just it's breath of fresh air for me. Just seeing how hard he works. Uh, he's really predictable when he's on the puck and going back for pucks. I know if he's, uh, you know, making a simple play, but he can make, you know, incredible plays as well. So um, I think our decor this year, yeah, has been has been amazing. And um, you know, and once I think once we get Halby back, which is hopefully soon, um, we'll be able to make that push again and you know start to keep a, a few more pucks out of our net, hopefully. Yeah, I suppose people always talk about the forwards having chemistry, about the getting the goals, but the, the, the D-men need the chemistry. So uh, good news that hopefully Halby's uh, back at some point. So this year, a record year yourself, uh, yeah. how are you feeling? And is it just a bit more confidence in your play? Danny giving you a bit more time on the ice as well. Uh, I've noticed he's put you out in big situations. So how are you feeling personally? Yeah, I've, I've felt good this year. Obviously, um, every year I've tried to gain a little bit more confidence and have a bit more freedom to my game. Um, there's still, you know, I'm 28, but there's still areas of my game where I needed maybe a little bit more confidence. And, um, you know, I'm still working on that, trying to grow and mature as a player. Um, you know, I've still, still got a few years left in me. So, but no, I've been given the opportunity this year, you know, I've been playing some power play, some four and four and, um, you know, I've, I've, I've 
I've scored some big goals for the team this year to practice win games, stay in games, and um, that's been really fun and enjoyed and enjoyed every minute of it. Um, you know, whilst Halby's been out, I've kind of been on that top power play unit, and um, would like to have maybe done a little bit more on it. Uh, we, have, I think, we still might have the best power play in the league, but. Um, when you're given that kind of opportunity with those great players around you on that first unit, you want to you wanna do a little bit more and try and cement yourself into a power play spot, <clears throat> which, uh, you know, when Halby comes back, it, it, every right to, to have that power play spot when he comes back with the start of the year he's had. But, um, no, I've enjoyed it this year. It's been, we've had some, um, we've got some really good forwards this year who, you know, maybe in recent years, you know, I'm not saying our forwards have ever been bad because they haven't. But um, when you're on a when you're on a bottom place team, maybe those forwards are looking to get their touches a little bit more, trying to trying to get the puck in the back of the net a little bit more. And um, some parts of some people's games can get a little bit selfish. Whereas this year, we've we've been a team on and off the ice the entire year, so. You get your touches, uh, the forwards get you the puck and, you know, you can trust your forwards to get the puck to them and, you know, good things happen. So, yeah, I think I'm um, a few points away or a point away from my best season yet. And uh, hopefully by the end of the year, I can uh, I can try and smash it and, you know, leave, leave me good going into next year. Well, it's it's good to hear that the uh, morale is good, the player, you, you're all feeling positive, so... Big push towards the end of the season, and we've also got that playoffs, which would get us a European place next year. Yeah. Um, wanted to talk about GB. We've got the the Euro Hockey Challenge coming up. Mm-hmm. Um, took you probably a little bit longer than people expected to break into the, the GB team, um, but what a way to break into it! The World Championships. Talk, talk to us about the last couple of years and uh, playing in those that big tournament. Oh, it's just been. It's been absolutely amazing. Um, you know that that elite series and that year off of COVID probably was the, you know, it, it really made people struggle that year during COVID. And um, you know, some people were really set back by it, but it it gave me a chance to focus on myself and try and get better as much as I could because I, you know, there was always in the back of the everyone's mind that some sort of season could happen so I just wanted to be as ready as I could for it and um, you know I've, I played for Milton Keynes in the streaming series and Telford in the Spring Cup and then had a really good elite series with the Blaze which helped me you know get a GB spot um, that COVID year and going to Latvia and the way we were treated you know going on a um, you know a private plane over there and being chauffeured around by police and playing in the rink against those caliber of players it, it was just absolutely incredible and um it is a credit to to what gb have been able to accomplish over the last you know well i guess it would be over the last five six years now that you know that winning belfast to go up and then i think they were expected to come straight back down and they um they got the gold medal the next year and beat france to stay up in that division so um They've been absolutely amazing to get to where where they where they are now still, even though we got relegated last year. But it's just an incredible experience. You see you see how those how those teams play and you know the caliber of players that they have. Um, you know, those boys and the coaching staff, you know, Pete, Corey and Kiefer and 
everyone involved has done amazing to put GB on the map. Um, you know, we, you know, some score lines, you know, were six nil or you know seven one or whatever it was, but the score line didn't always reflect uh, the games. Um, I think you know, teams when they played against us, they got quite frustrated and um, they turned out to be really good hockey games. So. And then Finland as well, just an incredible arena, a brand new arena. And, um, you know, the place was amazing. And just seeing how it's set up, the media, the just everything to do with it is just absolutely amazing. So hopefully this year the boys can do whatever they can to get back up there. Um, and, you know, now that they've got a taste for it in that top division, I think everyone's really um, excited and chomping at the bit to get back up there. A hundred percent, and we've got the the Euro Challenge coming up, which is the Elite League. Don't we don't normally honour that? Um, it's great to see. Uh, it's a tough competition to get in the squad now, um, and we've got the dual nats. I want to talk to you about the dual nats because some people are like it and some people don't, and it may mean someone missing out. But from your perspective, how do you feel about the dual nats? And obviously, we've having Johnny Curran on the team. Could you tell us what it means to him and Nathaniel Halbert, sorry, what it means to them to actually be representing GB? Yeah, I I completely get it from a lot of people's standpoints that maybe they'd like to see, um, you know, British born, homegrown players coming through the system and be given them a chance. And there's, there's probably plenty of them that, that could, but, you know, for Halby, for Halby, for instance, you know, he was born in Nottingham, grew up here as a young kid and uh, parents moved away. And, you know, Curran's parents born in the UK and moved over and had him whilst they were over there. So, you know, they do have a part of this country in their blood. And I know it means a lot to them. They were absolutely buzzing to be picked. Um, every Every player at any sport that plays, I think, to get the chance to represent a country and your country, it means it means everything to you. So, and I know it's I, I understand like it's a lot harder for them maybe to represent Canada rather than um, Great Britain, but you know they they're British and they're going to do everything they can to help the team win. And I completely get it from other people's perspectives, but I, I know that they're they're really grateful for the opportunity and they're going to do everything they can to help the team win. So I, it's a, it's it is a tough one, and I, I completely get it. And it means that there's less spots for you know for other people, and you know like myself, I, they can only take less players to this tournament in Nottingham for the World Championships. But you know it just means you got to work a bit harder and try and fight for a spot and uh but you know that it, it does it does in some cases make the team a lot stronger and the team wants to be up there in that top division and they want to stay there so you know if if these dual nets help the team and put great britain on the map and for a longer time it, i think it's really good for our league number one and it's good for the country number two i think it, it's going to make people work a lot harder and Hockey's going to get a lot bigger and a lot better in this country, which is good for the players and it's good for the fans. It's good for for all the clubs involved. So um, I see more positive out of it, but I understand why 
people might feel um, a different way towards it. Yeah, I think with the, the Euro Hockey Challenge coming up, uh, Whistle was having a great season and the Bounce still a great goalie. And uh, so the back end's there. There's competition all around. So whilst we're competing on the ice, everyone's competing against each other. Uh, I just want to talk about the 1A this year. We've got everything given to us in the sense that we are on home ice. The ticket prices are great. But this is uncharted territory now again for the GB because the pressure is there to return to the World Championships. Have you spoke to the other guys uh, uh, that are in the team and how are you feeling going into the championships? And surely you're confident that you'll uh, get back to the big stage? Yeah, I mean, I haven't spoken to any of the guys <clears throat> yet, but um, I'm sure a lot will be said during the next week at camp. Um, from from a pressure standpoint, yeah, yeah, there is there is pressure. You're on home ice. Uh, you've been in there for three years in that top division, and you know the fans want to be back up there, and the players and everyone involved, the coaching staff, Andy, like everyone at Ice, ice Hockey UK, everyone wants to be back up there. So yeah, there is pressure, but. Um, even before I was a player, I think they've had a lot of a lot of pressure on them to to do well, and they they've absolutely smashed it. So um, I think that's something that the players in the past have, have has thrived on is that pressure. And I know from playing with them for the last couple of years at the World Championships, they they absolutely love the pressure. Everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's sport and anything can happen, right? So, um, unfortunately, we were on the wrong end of that last game in Austria, and that was that was an immense amount of pressure. But the boys did amazing the entire tournament, um, played some really good hockey against some really good teams, and Austria just had a bit of, you know, a bit of that extra on the on the night, and we're down and and they stay so. If we, I think if we play the exact same way that we've been playing over the last few years, there's no reason why we can't go back up. But, you know, um, the, t- the team is, like I said, over the last, you know, however many years, they've, they've had, you know, at least one of these games that has been a huge pressure moment and they've exceeded through it. So whatever happens in Nottingham, I'm sure the boys will give it absolutely everything and do their best to get back up and whatever happens, happens. But I think, I think we're confident that if we play how we've played the last three years um, or even four or five years, they'll go straight back up. Yeah. And uh, as I said, like the ticket pricing is absolutely fantastic this year. So uh, hopefully we get the support. Uh, David, uh, obviously from a selfish point of view, Best of luck for the rest of the season. Let's let's try to go yeah. win a trophy. And uh, thank you very much for joining the podcast. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's good to chat, and uh, we'll see you soon. Um, I don't know about you guys. I enjoyed that uh, interview. Thanks for David for giving me time. Thanks for Scott for uh, a good good little piece there, matey. Um, well done. Um, so good work. I let's say you could, one thing I picked out from that interview, uh, and I don't know if you were the same, Scott. Is someone who's more than just excited for not just his this season's GB, but actually being part of that squad. Because sometimes people say, oh, they just want to do it because it's a nice little jolly. But he genuinely sounds like he's more than happy to be part of the GB setup. Yeah, I mean, it took him a while to 
get the call up, he was kind of knocking on the door. And when he got the call up, he got the call up for the Worlds. And I think he's experienced the best you can. As he said, you got really looked after in those tournaments. And once you're doing that, you don't want to let that go. And he's 28 years old. He's still got a few years left in him. And he just seems excited to play for GB. It really speaks to the abundance. John, I mean, we've watched him. Obviously, we was out in, in Finland last season and everyone saw it, or those who watched it, um, the tournament in Latvia on the TV. He's, he's a player that just fitted in quite well into the, the GB team and he did not look out of place in any of the games in relative terms. Absolutely not. I think he's a guy that's um, has come a long way in a very, I'd say, fairly short space of time. In some respects, I feel like he's been around for years. Another time, you think, well, he, he has come a, a long, a long way. In, in a, it's quite a small space of time. He's what 28, and that surprised me because it doesn't seem that long ago when he wasn't even in the team. Um, I think when he first came on the scene, he was a little bit feisty. He was just trying to make a bit of a name for himself, and he'd been getting mixed in with things maybe that uh, were distracting him from his his game itself. But um, no, he's a steady, steady player, and I'm pleased we got another defenseman that we can rely on. We know we've not, over the years, had a lot of depth on the GB sort of uh, program in terms of uh, defensemen. And yeah, he does a good job. I've seen a few Coventry games this season when obviously Halpert wasn't playing. He was playing power play minutes, playing all situations, and not looking out of place. His points production is, is fantastic as well. And he speaks well. He speaks like a very mature, headstrong guy, and. Um, yeah, 28, hopefully a good few more campaigns and fingers crossed a few in the top pool if we can hopefully get out of this annoying pool this uh, this April. Um, but yeah, he came across well. No, he did. And that was one thing as well that I, I picked up. He sounds, for someone who, outside looking in, uh, is someone who kind of just appeared on the, on the Coventry scene before obviously making the GB, he sounds like a bit of a leader. He sounds like someone who's taking a lot of it on ice, off ice, very serious. He, it's not just the job, in fact, makes it. He actually, he generally sounds like he cares. And when you hear interviews and you kind of go, no, oh, that's just sound bites and that. I, I didn't get that, Scott. I mean, you obviously watching more than, than all of us on the pod this evening. Is that a fair assessment to say? Yeah, it's, he, he's like the Mr. Blaze at the moment and has been for a few years. When then all the new imports go in, they've got like a WhatsApp chat. He makes sure they all go to the pub on the first day and integrates everybody. Uh, so yes, it's, uh, it's not just I play for the Blaze, it's, uh, I care about the Blaze and it shows, as, as you just said, when he speaks. And that, that's not, uh, a player that's media trained, that's, that's just the truth. And uh, we, we've mentioned a, a fair few times on this podcast that the, the, the rebuild or the, the comeback of the Blaze from the glory years of the, um, sort of the 07, 08 era. And you need that core of players that not just able to be successful in that, but it's the heartbeat in the caring off ice. And Clements definitely comes across as an integral part of that. If if Coventry are to ha- to build on whatever left of this season and moving forward, he's definitely a big piece of the puzzle there. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, we're the best of the rest, aren't we? The, you've got the, the, the top four teams that you would expect. Um, and we had a massive rebuild this season, but... For years, we've been the eighth place team, and when you're recruiting players, they may look at that. But if we're knocking on the door, going into next season to rebuild a little bit again, I would keep a lot of the players that are here. He's going to be integral to that. 
very much so. And as ever, time will tell if Coventry can make the current top four a top five. Uh, but again, uh, thank you, uh, Clements, for you, not only giving me time, but uh, a good interview for the, this week's episode. We'll move on to the next section. Um, now, obviously, we discussed the, the Belfast-Sheffield weekend on the last episode and and how that weekend went. In between recordings, uh, an article appeared on the, the Sheffield Star where Sheffield owner Tony Smith um, decided to discuss with the media that he brought the coaches in to discuss the performances and how he wasn't happy with a lack of results and kind of a dip performance. He kind of aired it through the media. I'll bring Ross into this, uh, first of all, and I use it, I bring him in obviously with a lot of the stuff that's been discussed to death that's happened in Glasgow. I'll ask Ross the question first, then I'll bring the others in. Do you want to see your owner go that public about going, I'm not happy with results. Um, we're, ask, we're asking questions. What you know? What needs to be done? Or do you want that stuff kind of kept in house? Being a bit tongue in cheek, I would like to see my owner. Um, but normally, under circumstances where I think the owner is a bit more involved, if he's on the scene and you know he's getting his hands dirty, then I think it would be something where. If I go to my other team and I go Detroit rather than Clan, where it's obvious that there is ownership involved and they've got a proper GM and not a shit show of a hockey club, um, then absolutely keep it in behind closed doors. Um, I'm obviously not in tune with how uh, in bed with the local paper that Sheffield are, but there's not really any reason to be throwing your coach under the bus publicly. Um, it probably doesn't leave a great taste in the coach's mouth going forward and there's not a coach in professional sports that doesn't know when they're not achieving um, everyone that's involved in sports at any given level is only there to win um, you'll get the occasional guy especially in this league where money is a bit more important than actually winning but I don't think that comes with a coach because if you've got a crap CV then I was going to say you don't get jobs but Malcolm Cameron did um, in theory, you don't you don't get your next one. Um, so they only care about results. Throwing them under the bus in front of the media doesn't doesn't change anything other than look a bit sloppy, in my opinion. I've got to agree with that. To be fair, I think this um, when you start having uh, apparent cracks that break through to the media and into the fan base, it, it, it's bound to create a little bit of resentment. At the end of the day. If you're in the background as, as an owner, even as a GM to some extent, you give that person the job, then you trust them to go on and do it. Okay, give them the tools to do that job. Um, and if it's not working, have a quiet word behind the scenes. It doesn't need to be made public. Um, at the end of the day, fans in, in, in this league demand information 24-7. And unfortunately, it's a bit of a byproduct of having in the past that been the way it has been. The clubs are entitled to do what they want what they want to do to some extent. Fans don't need to know everything that's going on behind the scenes. And I think that it puts them in a bit of a precarious spot now because at the end of the day, it's bound to create a little bit of frustration from the coaches' parts that they're being called out publicly in front of all the fans. And I think going forward, it's a bit of a concern that uh, maybe relationships do break down. Um, I, to be honest, when they first appointed Fox, I was a little bit surprised. I knew him only as a GM. 
I didn't actually know he was a coach. Um, met him through a friend of mine that played um, with him um, over in Zagreb, and he was a, a GM in Zagreb, and he was with his coaching team and, and the equipment staff at outside the ring at a coffee shop one day. And when they when they signed him as a as a coach, I was a bit oh okay, maybe maybe I got it wrong. So you know, he's, he's doing a big role there. He's just, I guess he's essentially managing and coaching. It's a lot to do, and I think just let them go on with the job. Um, if he's good enough, he'll get success. If he's not good enough, he'll get sacked. And that happens at the end of the season. So, yeah, I think it's a bit of an own goal from, from my point of view, what, what uh, Mr. Smith did there. What, the uh, the Sheffield stir? It, it, it's a paper. Bob Westerdale can't write, makes so many spelling mistakes. He just tries to create drama. I don't know if he's in cahoots with David Sims to get stuff, but the stuff he pulls out and the knowledge he knows, it's bizarre. Uh, last year, he was very quick to uh, show a photo of um, Danny Stewart having an argument with the backroom member of the Sheffield Steelers. What do you get from that? Like, you're just trying to sell your 50p papers. It's pathetic. Um, and everything that happened with Danny Stewart and the fraud that was Justin Hodgman that made out he was the mental health guru, um, giving Danny Stewart shit. Nah, I ain't got no time for Sheffield Stir or Bob Westell. He's a fraud, and um, I, I think it's a bullshit story. I don't think he's Mr. Smith has said anything. I think it's just uh, a little clickbait to get to get something from this weekend. And well, yeah, they got four points, but nah, it's a load of bollocks for me. Um, yeah, it was going very nicely, and then Scott's uh, up the ante on that one. Um, I can imagine. To be fair, though, to be fair, just to jump in, I would endorse the points about that particular journalist, to be fair. He's got more than previous for talking out of his ass, So I think that's not exactly a point I'll disagree with on Mr Finley's point, uh, part there, because I've not got any respect for that particular journalist either. So, well said, Scotty Finley. I'll just wait for John to not in- interrupt again. Um... Did that conversation happen? I, I can imagine it had on twofold. Firstly, if results start to go down the pan, the attendances start going down the pan, and there's less money going in. Now, there's many exhibits to go, yeah, they will make sure that they get every pound, shilling, and pence in the club. The amount of social media that sell, sell, sell. And I'm not criticising that for this particular piece. So, But what I'm saying is it's there. If you don't know that it's a club that are proactive in bringing in the money, then you never will. So would you, if you've seen the results and seen the fans get a bit nervous, talk of social media, because he quotes, he doesn't quote directly, but he talks about fans and stuff they post on social media. Um, yeah, he may have got nervous. So, But would he, should that conversation be made public knowledge? No. I agree with Ross in the respect of coaches will know. Even if you run a team, grassroots or anything, you're getting bad results, you know that things aren't right. You don't need telling. You know, you can just look at the score lines. Oh, L, 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 L. Yeah, yeah, things aren't going right. You can tell. Um, I'm, I'm not a fan that it were put out. I'm a fan that if that conversation has happened, um, but I, I, there's sometimes you put stuff out 
sometimes you keep your cards to your chest. And I lean towards the latter where this conversation should have been kept to the chest. Don't need to air it. Talk about the weekend games. But I would have kept that bit. And maybe it was a head, allowed a headline to be, have a read of the article. Who knows? Yes, he does have previous. Um, and I think that's uh, an area to kind of investigate for another episode because that could be quite a lengthy uh, discussion piece. But I, I'm certainly of a, I don't mind as a Sheffield fan that conversation being had, but should it have been aired out in public? Probably not. But David, like, you've got, you lost the first leg of the uh, semi-final five. You're only one goal behind. It's not the bit or end or like you could, you could have been three goals behind. It's not that thing. And you went to Belfast and you, you managed to get a point. It, you don't lose the league in one weekend. And there was a big weekend for you guys this weekend going to your big arch rivals, Nottingham and a tough home game against Coventry and you got the four points. So you've done the business. I, I just, I, I'm just baffled that that, that think, came out. You, I think you've got to also add to consideration the other two games in January where we didn't pick up points. The, the Cardiff game at the beginning of the month that was on the TV and the Guildford one um, against teams all chasing for that title and we picked up a solid point. You're right in the respect of if you look at last weekend and this weekend. As results have shown, Sheffield are still well and truly within that race. But the kind of dip in January happened last year, and it happened again. So it kind of, I think, there's maybe nerves of going, I need to kind of touch base. Whatever terminology you want to use, and just go, let's have, let's just see what needs to be done. I, I, I don't know. I, I agree with you in terms of, I mean, he quotes the Friday game. Uh, in the article and I was like yeah okay we weren't the best but there was a huge chunk of games and we could have easily won that one but again it's winning the games you say the 5-1 um, I felt that that f- first semi-final leg it was do enough save yourself for the Belfast games expect to be able to do the business in the second leg I, th- I think it's one of them where a little bit of a gamble May pay off. We'll find out a week of Wednesday. Um, but I, 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 anybody else who listens, you know, let us know what you think. Should that type of conversation between your owner and your coach be kept private, or should should that allow the should it allow the fan base to be told that you've got owners that are proactive? We'll, we'll, we'll term it that way. We'll move on to the next section because I appreciate we could do that for quite some time and we'll bring Ross into it uh, very much. I think he's been unlucky the times he's come on and it's been not the best of times for for Glasgow, but at the moment there's one hell of a resurgence in Glasgow. Um, They're picking results up left, right and centre and against not just rivals, but uh, some of the big four. Um, Two points against Cardiff and Sheffield recently. Probably weren't expected, but it's giving Glasgow that oomph to get that last playoff spot so Ross one of the form you know last five ten games one of the form teams of the league what what seems what seems to have clicked I think uh, we can't underestimate I know it's been a running joke in a group chat for all season about teams moaning about injuries um, but the other running joke in our group chat has been what position Dyson Stevenson actually plays 
Now, Dyson Stevenson is very much a forward. Admittedly, he is a defensively minded forward. Um, and he's not going to be the, the guy that um, makes or breaks your scoring for the year. But when you've got guys like that, sorry, excuse me, when you've got guys like that having to play back, um, and at one point we had three actual D men at any given point, the addition of two D men has absolutely changed this clan team. Um, in that you've got two guys who, in all honesty, I'm not sure how they haven't had. Well, they have had jobs, but I'm not sure how they've not been, or how they've even been available this late, because the two of them look they've made an impact straight away. Um, I'm especially impressed with Jeff Solo, so shout out to that guy. Um, he was touted as being a defensive defenseman, and Craig Anderson has already interviewed him this week, saying, well, you're not that. Um, you've got two-way prowess um, that we weren't expecting. And I think just having the ability to then have Two extra D to let your forwards be forwards. You've had Shabbat all year where he is very much a forward. Again, he's been playing back. You've got guys playing where they're meant to be playing um, and are not overstretched anymore. You're no longer playing Mitch Jones for 45 minutes a night. Um, you can let guys come on, have the impact, and then take a seat and come on and do it again. Um, instead... I know not everybody will have this experience and I've never had it anywhere near that level. Um, but when you know yourself, David, when you've got a short bench, you can serve yourself, you keep something in the tank because you know your next shift is coming up quick. So you maybe don't jump up in that play where you could. You maybe don't take that little bit of extra effort to get to those pucks. You, you can serve your energy rather than going full tilt. Um, and having two guys just seems to have unlocked a team. Um, because everybody can now go full tilt and go full tilt where they're supposed to. We mentioned it um, on the last episode, I think, where we're kind of wondering if Stevenson's got the clan kind of going, fuck you to everyone, we're going to make the postseason. Do you, do you feel that that kind of attitude of something, a fire's been lit, that's kind of got the team a bit of a siege mentality to start picking up the results? I appreciate the two new additions will have obviously helped in terms of the bench, but that kind of siege mentality of, you're right, things have been shit, but we can still do this and we're going to prove everyone wrong. I think that's been there since um, Stevenson and Dixon took over as coaches. The attitude has been there because you've You've maybe not seen it on the scoreboard, but from watching it week in, week out, it's maybe not always been the most entertaining hockey, but there's definitely been a buy-in that there wasn't there under Malcolm Cameron. Um, and you can see that guys are playing with that little bit of, for want of a better expression, fuck you about them. Um, and I, I fully put it down to the fact that now there's a full bench that unlocks the ability to actually do it. Um, but the mentality, I don't think, has changed drastically from when the two new coaches did, because there was a definite mindset shift as soon as that happened. Um, and now he's got the guys and the amount of guys to to do it. Obviously, we mentioned at the beginning of the section, you know, some pretty big results recently for you guys. One of the players that you see when you tout social media of how things have gone has been the netminder Muse. And obviously, pulling in some performances that's getting you the big wins. Is it kind of added some reassurance that your goal is starting to steal a few games it then adds to the confidence that the team the way they're performing kind of that snowball effect where you've got your goalie doing the business and some and everyone's kind of feeding off that 
think he's steady at the back, but I also think it's a bit unfair on the existing or the, the previous goalie, Driscoll, and that Driscoll's went to the coast, and for all intents and purposes, he's not doing bad. Um, he's doing pretty well. Um, uh, has he got the experience and this, the level of steadiness that Amuse has? No, but that comes with time, and most clan fans kind of identified that as an area of potential weakness. Um, and being a goalie yourself, David, you'll know how much of that position is mental as much as physical. Um, and I think it's quite clear to say that the previous regime of coach didn't overly believe in him. Um, and the fact that he was the first person out the door. Um, now, if we go under the bonnet a little bit and say who else here hasn't performed to where they have maybe elsewhere when they played in the Elite League or just isn't quite what we expected it to, Driscoll wasn't your guy. Um, and at any given point, there's five other players that the puck needs to pass before the goalie becomes the problem. Um, so I don't think Muse was the guy that's saving our season or changing the season. I think Muse was a last-ditch effort from Malcolm Cameron to save his own arse. I say you're absolutely right. And I think the mental element of, of being a netminder certainly tested um, in the first few months. In, and that's any player, never mind the netminder in Glasgow. Um, and I agree with you. I think he was the fall guy a little bit, um, Driscoll. But, you know, obviously the change happened and he's starting to pick up the wins. One last question for me, kind of, of all the teams in the Elite League, the kind of, or the perception of the buying from the fans to the club, and it's has that kind of feeling. Obviously, it's been very tested this season, but do you think that with a few of the results and, and just a few things, do you reckon there's a, a kind of a turnaround in getting back to, or slowly getting back to where things, obviously, won't be all, you know, all glory and everything being rosy, everything. but are you see, can you see that as a bit of a turnaround in things starting to be a bit more, yeah, we are Glasgow fans, we're starting to be happy to wear the colours, if that makes sense? Yeah, no. Um, and yes, in that I think there's a very divisive split in that guys, or not guys, but fans are wholeheartedly buying into the guys on the ice. Um, but off the ice, I think there's still a bit of a, a, bit of a split. Um, and Maybe came to a head a little bit at the weekend with the banner, um, and there was a banner in section N back the bid, um, and the OSC have released a statement today saying that they have nothing to do with that; they won't endorse it. Um, there are still, including myself, there are still plenty of fans on social media that will go up and watch the watch a team. Admittedly, because I've paid, otherwise I might not have done this season. Um, but. Whether or not that means you're actually back in the club or back in the team on the ice, I think there's a bit of a differentiator and that a lot of us still want to see wholesale change. Um, and for me, that goes owner, management staff, um, right down, if I'm honest, to the OSC. The fact that you come out there and say that you can't represent fans, but you'll pick and choose when you represent fans online, that needs an overhaul. You're either entirely in or you're entirely out, and you can't call yourself a supporters club if you won't represent supporters. Um, so I think on the ice, yeah, there's more buy-in. Um, people are a bit happier about that. But off ice, I think, without major changes, I, I don't know what will happen this off-season. I'm in the process of highly um, discussing whether or not I'm, I'm back next year. That's one thing I noticed, Russ, that the OSC was so quick on that banner yesterday. Like, Section N is the OSC section. 
and they were so quick to say, oh, that's not, we don't endorse it, blah, 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 this. But they were quiet earlier on in the season. And I just think that as much as the clan have been doing well, the uncertainty there, I think, is a little bit worrying. Absolutely, and I would agree with that wholeheartedly. With regards to the OSC, um, the whole kind of debacle, all they really needed to do to get people off their backs to start with was basically say we don't condone sexual abuse or violence and we'll do something towards supporting people who have been affected by this. You didn't even need to mention said player. Um, the fact they chose to say nothing at all that doesn't represent the fan base because I didn't see anyone but the OSC say that. Almost everybody was absolutely vehemently against it. Um, so to then cause that kind of split, it almost feels like, well, listen to what your members actually say. Would it take that much effort to be a supporters club that listens to your supporters? All you need to do is gauge your general opinion. Now, you won't represent everybody, but no one ever does. Um so all you need to do is get a little bit of a poll from your members saying, how do we feel about any given subject? It doesn't need to be that debacle earlier in the season. It could literally be, how do our members feel under regards to the current regime versus the potential new ones? Is it um, a case of, sorry, Russ, is it a case of they don't want to rock the boat because they get their little incentives from absolutely. the current Yeah. That what else would there be of a benefit to being absolutely neutral other than protecting your own backside? Because um, it seems like the majority of fans don't necessarily agree with them. Um, to go to the point of making a banner, it's not as if it's arts and crafts that's going to take you three hours or anything. It's Well, it might, but it's not going to take you decades to make a banner. Um but to be to feel strongly enough that you would then show your opinion on a game night, um, all you needed to do was find out how do other people feel about this, and it's not that difficult to do it. Um, the only reason you would choose to sit on your hands is if it somehow benefits you to have no opinion whatsoever. Yeah, let's be fair. It's it's clear they're more acting as a club's little puppet rather than representing the fans, which are effectively there to do. Too much much self-interest, and unfortunately there's a few uh, organisations around the league, not just in Glasgow, that that's the case, isn't it? They want to just be like, oh, we'll do anything the club tell us to do, and they're not speaking for the fans, and that's a bit disappointing, because as you say, when that was all kicking off back in wherever it was, November, October, they were very, very quiet and uh, not prepared to put their head above above the parapet. I can't even say the bloody word, parapet, whatever it's called. And, uh, yeah, if any other kind of jumped on that within 12 hours, wherever it was. Yeah, so for, for me, if, if there are new owners, that needs an overhaul as well. The OSC needs to represent supporters and not be tied to the club. Um, it can do things to benefit Sorry. the club, absolutely. You're a supporter of the club. But if you're going to say you're an official supporters, put the emphasis on supporters, support your fans, absolutely. get an overall opinion. And back the fans to make everything else better. Don't go tongue up the arse of the club at any given opportunity. I mean, percent could you only go between? You're not the club's puppet. You're there to represent the fans first and foremost. And OK, it doesn't mean to say you have to be argumentative towards the club. But you still could challenge the club 
and you can make them accountable, and they're not, really. It makes things better when you hold people to an account as well, rather than just saying, do whatever you want to do, and we'll roll over and take it. Um, if We've been discussed in this podcast multiple times what the clan could be, um, and that requires not just fans, but people within the club to hold each other accountable. Um, and I think for me, going back to on ice performance, I think that might also be a major difference is that even last year, people were saying that Stevenson is, a, is an absolute leader. He's the sort of guy you go to war for. But a leader like that is someone that will hold you accountable, but you hold yourself accountable to play for a guy like that. Um, he's one, and him and um, Dixon, because I don't know entirely how the setup is working behind the scenes. But the pair of them are absolute assets to the club at the moment. Um, to even still be here when others have decided to jump ship, whether that be the Port of Mafia or whatever. Um, guys who've seen the door and, and took it as quick as they could, I've got no time for that either. Um, I'll be honest, I gave uh, Mr Stevenson some stick a few weeks ago um, and I jest with you about him playing forward in D. Uh, but the turnaround has been great and he is the guy that's been the one in front of the camera uh, and, and fair play to him. And going back to the the OSC, uh, Rosh made some great points there. Um, they need to do more than hand out their care packages every year to get the likes on social media. Yeah, and their beer's not good enough. Can't argue with that last bit. Um, <clears throat> Ross, thanks for that section. Um, insightful as ever when you've been on um, this episode, no different. We'll move on to the next section. Um, one that we mocked a while back and we thought couldn't get any worse. And then the semi-finals happen and it has. Um, the Challenge Cup. So we mocked it for te- the group stage second too long. And then the semi-finals happened. Um, you have the first semi-final completed by the end of January. The second one will be completed mid-February with the final two weeks later. Belfast, due to the rules, are hosting the final and already the vast majority of the arena is sold out and wait, I think there's about roughly three, 400 tickets waiting for the opposition, whoever qualifies from Fife and Sheffield, which has led to a lot of similar conversations for when Cardiff had a similar thing last year. Uh, in, in Belfast with their fa- Challenge Cup final. We'll start with, with one question. Uh, should should the tickets have been on sale before the second semi-final was completed? Should the tickets been on sale? No. But should the final destination be decided on a set day, on a weekend? Yes. That, that should... There should be no debate on anything else that's in question. We should have given a day that the final is at a location. Or if you're the top seed, you have to have fair seeds. And I've been a little bit of a bitch, but the groups the way they are is a load of bollocks because Coventry, Guildford, Cardiff are at the moment in and around each other. Whereas Belfast play the Scottish teams, usually coming off a CHL competition. So they're going to be top seeds. 
and that's happened the last two years. So if they qualify off the groups, they're top seeds for the rest of the tournament. So they will have the final every year. And even if they have the final, it needs to be at a weekend, which is accessible. Well, my thoughts have been said on this many times before. I, I don't buy all excuses all the time. You can't play on a weekend. The team doesn't get to play. That's bullshit. A few of us in this group have been at finals where our teams have played on the Saturday or the Friday and played on the Sunday in the final. And that's in that's ideal. You don't really want to be playing a league game the night before a final, especially if it involves travelling any great distance. But the bottom line is, if we... A progressive league. How hard is it to say that the, the final will be on such and such date in February, whatever? Again, I've said in the past, it should be out of the way before Christmas. All these Mickey Mouse games going on, like playing each other 85 times in the group stages, it's crap. Get the format done and tested by the end of October. Semi finals, quarter finals, wherever, November. Final in December, job done. Simple as. And it, it can be on a weekend. It's been proven many times before. Okay, if we had to say it's going to be guaranteed to be on such and such dates in December and then our team misses out on a home game, then so be it. At the end of the day, they're going to fit the games in at some point throughout the season anyway. This this league looks a joke. Literally, like a week ago, no one knew when the final was officially. And no one knows who the second opponent is till literally a fortnight before the actual game is happening. The whole thing is an absolute gong show. I think the trick is, if you're out of it by Christmas, you can focus on the big things like eighth place. That's a a very noticeable, that's a very Scottish answer of that, with uh, how the teams have gone. I I just want to throw in, in terms of what John said about they can't do this. And this is a response on Twitter by the Elite League um, to um, a tweet. Um, saying that this is a decision the team owners jointly made. If you put it on a weekend, all teams need to hold a Sunday free and Saturday for travel, and they may not end up having a game then. The weekend dates are too valuable for teams to want to do that. Now, for me, there's a very quick fix to that. You pick that weekend, you play Friday. If you have to play the weekend, you play Friday. Have Saturday for travel day. Have yeah. Sunday, and to me, what well, I believe the, the cup final that should be the only game there. It's yeah, it's a premier event in respect of yes, it's the playoff final with all the fans and all the bells and whistles. It's a cup final, and if we need to do things because of tradition, sport traditions in the UK, and John will know more obviously with his um, life experience. But the FA Cup final, the big premier cup final always given that prestige why can't we give the chance cup final the prestige it deserves now i'm with both scott and john this could be done and dusted by december john will remember the Ch- uh, the benson edges cup and that was done by december then you have the chance cup so if you could if you could do two cup tournaments in a season how the hell are you spreading one over that full season? And it was similar number of teams, if memory serves me right, John. That was in the, the Benson Edges and then the Chance Cup. So you 
It weren't like the... <laughs> it was. But in them days, they weren't trying to play each other a million times a season to try and drag the, the money out. The bottom line is, yeah, it's another trophy. But it's, it's harder to win than the playoffs. But it's still the least prestigious. Surely if you're a team gunning for a league title in February, going into March, you don't need the distraction of playing up in Scotland or down in Guildford or wherever on a Wednesday or a Tuesday and then going back at her again the weekend after in the league. The, the games are coming thick and fast. Teams need to try to conserve energy. The tournament should be done. So with the serious games like the, the title running, which will be coming in obviously over the next few weeks now, teams can focus solely on that. If guys have got little niggles, if guys have got little injuries they're trying to sort of limp through the season with, they don't ideally want to be playing semi-finals, quarter-finals after January. But we insist on having the same format every single year. It's such an easy fix, it really is. But there seems to be this, this arrogance or this frustration that, you know, the ownership groups seem to have in not listening to the fans. No one, no one wants to do this. And, and a midweek final, wherever it is, if you're Belfast coming to Cardiff or Sheffield or Nottingham or in reverse going to Belfast midweek, it's crap. It takes two days out of your holiday probably at least to go and attend that final without the financial impact of it. And like Sheffield or five fans can't conclusively realistically book anything until a week and a half's time. It's well, a joke. I- I know for a fact that there are fans already booking it. Now, I'll say one thing in regards to the midweeks. I agree in that respect. It it shouldn't be midweek. However, years ago when it was a two-leg final and it was midweek, the only difference then, Belfast was not making the final. But I can imagine the conversation would be the same back then had Belfast made the final. Um, I'll I'll pick up one thing that you said, John, and I'll, I'll bring Ross into this slightly. At the moment, Fife have a one-goal lead. Now, you could replace Fife with Glasgow or Dundee for this scenario. If you said there was a chance for some silverware, legit silverware, I'm not criticising the conferences, but a legit silverware that you could absolutely you know, parade till it to kingdom come, the Scottish teams would bite your hands off. And you're right in terms of the other teams that have got title ambitions. They don't want them games. But... You've got to do it where your teams are theoretically fresher. And like we've said, December. You telling me the first weekend of December or the second weekend in December, you go, right, we're playing on the Friday. No game Saturday. You could even go, we'll have penciled fixtures. But none of them are released until near the time, so teams are knocked out. If you need to play the games. But have that one Sunday. You know the venue. It's announced at the beginning of the year. You can sell tickets. That's how you can even start selling tickets and hold. Let's just go Cardiff, for example, because of the last neutral venue that was used. You could hold 600 tickets back per for, for, two, for two finalists. And just start selling tickets because people want to go to it. It's a, it's a game, even if your team's up there. I mean, in fairness, I believe that there was a fair few Cardiff fans who went to the, the Belfast-Guildford final that was held in Cardiff. So fans will go if it's in their neck of Even if in Glasgow, let's just say the final was held in Glasgow. You're telling me if Glasgow didn't make the final, some of them wouldn't go because it's on their doorstep. Of course they would. So I think there's multiple ways. And I think it, on this one for the Challenge Cup, 
if you want to keep it, A, give it the respect it deserves. It's a tournament that teams want to win. When Coventry won it a fair few times, they was always talking, this is, you know, this is something that we can put on. I mean, some people don't win silverware for years. I'll give you one example, because he said it in the interview after the final in Tony Turner. Um, Valorant, been playing for ages, wins the Challenge Cup with Sheffield, and he's absolutely buzzing off his tits. He's like, I've never won any silverware in, in, while playing hockey, and he's now got it. And he, he was just talking about the emotions of having that moment. So as much as it's not the be-all and end, it's not the league title, it's not the playoffs, but it's still silverware that should have some respect. And I think it's time the league gave it the respect it deserves. And let's not come out with the crap of, oh, we can't do this. Well, no, yes, you can do this. Do you want to do this? Do you want to make it a formal that, A, gives it that legitimacy, still gives the teams the games that they need, is if you want to do it. Because sometimes if you just do the same thing over and over again, you're just going to get the same result over and over again. And I just feel that this kind of a, a view of, a perception of a view of, well, it kind of works. It's kind of all right. Why do we change it? But for me, I think it's at a time now that that particular tournament, because I appreciate the playoff format could be discussed, you know, to Kingdom Come, needs a change, needs updating, needs done well in advance and given that respect that it deserves. There was nothing wrong with the two-legged finals, was there? When uh, you could get ice time. But now the big teams are starting to get into the finals and one direction are playing in the arena. They can't do it. So No, no two legs two two legs is shit. No, it's gonna be a one. No game. it's not. Uh, no, it's John. It's, no, it's John. Shit. Oh four, oh five, oh five, oh six. They were the greatest finals ever. You can't say two legged finals were shit. Can't well, why? What final gets ended in one leg? It's not Super Bowl, is it? Ice hockey is always is over multiple legs. Okay, so let's just do the playoffs and play over two days and we'll have the game on a Saturday and the game on a Sunday for the final. Yeah, but the playoffs is bullshit. That's why Noddy won it. You, you just said that no games won over one game. Yeah, but no, a final. Yeah, a final and playoffs is over one game. But no, yeah, but it's bullshit. You, we all think the playoffs are bullshit. You said it yourself. Yeah, the whole weekend's bullshit. The whole weekend is absolute crap. But like, a winner-takes-all game in a neutral venue, ideally, is is a way to go. And but we can't do that. All the valid points. It could be done, but they just don't want to do it. Like David made all the points earlier, it's been done many times before. You know, It has happened for many, many years. There's so many things this league do wrong now, which they did better 20, 30 years ago, and it's unre- unreal. There's so many, like, the format of the, play- of the, the playoffs is, is worse. The format of the, of the Challenge Cup, wherever guys it's been under, is worse. There was national TV coverage. There was better, you know, newspapers reporting on it. But it's just it's this little clip that they have. They do not want to change what they already have, and they will not change it. And there's no governance, so there's no one to tell them that they're doing it wrong. But, yeah, I, I don't know. Each to their own. I know Cardiff and Coventry played some absolute storming two-tie you know, two games. I'll give you that. But just to give the the the, the, the game credibility, one-off game, when it takes all, that's how it should be. But then, not in March, too late. Yeah, in place. Even if they make it, even if they make it, they've only got nine hundred fans. So 
if any of the arena teams then make it to the final against Fife, they're going to bring more than 900 fans, and that will then effectively make it a neutral venue. Bit of, you, you can fit about 50 people in the Arbor Room. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you have any hotels at all in Fife? No, I just pitch in one of the holes in the car park and you take spray and <laughs> put a tent up, you'll be sorted. But realistically, you could pick any one of the Scottish arenas. One of yours is not going to make it. One of them will be a neutral venue at any given point. Or just start the full thing. It's, it's certainly something that I think and we've said, we've said in different guises uh, and, and different off strands that it needs changing. You know, the group stage, end of August to November, too long. Having the semi-finals decided with a huge gap, never mind the gap between the semi-finals and the final, stupid. And yes, you can kind of go, you know, ice time and availability. But if you can know in advance because Belfast and Nottingham had advised their ice time in advance of the quarterfinals, then you tell me at the fixture meeting, right, we're going to have this weekend for the first leg of quarters, second leg, that week for the semi-final quarters, uh, first leg, second, second leg. I think it's something that you could do. And I, I just, it's, this, it's the will to do it. I don't know if anybody else has any other points on the, uh, the Challenge Cup. It's in the current conversation. Uh, we'll move on to... Uh, I think it could be an interesting conversation, but let's have it anyway. Highlighted this weekend is let's say, the behaviour of certain elements of fans towards opposition fans. And we're talking the ones that are the opposite of family sport behaviour or expected and respected behaviour norms. Of a family sport, and it's it is a lot of it. I mean, maybe with social media highlighting it a lot more now than it has been. I'm going to throw this com- this question to to you all: Is hockey still the family sport that it's been sold for many many years? No, it's not. Uh, so the bigger incident this weekend was the one in the Sky Dome. Uh, there was a video of a couple of fans down having a few beers kicking off. Now, I don't know those guys. I think they were just there for the jolly and didn't realise about what was going on. Where, how you, how you behave in a rink. Uh, I also think that the whole family sport thing is a little bit silly. You've got to have some sort of rivalry. But if Cardiff are winning 6 0, wouldn't hear about it. There's a little element of when you're losing, oh, the opposition fans have given me this, give me that, blah, blah, blah. And then the second element is, it's always the same people that have issues in rinks. We had a discussion in our chat. I've been watching hockey for 23 years. I've had one incident at a rink where an old lady attacked me because I stood up. Um, she's probably dead now, so... That that's what it is. Like, <laughs> I don't go to rinks to cause trouble, and I don't have trouble in rinks because I go there and enjoy myself. So, it, do I feel like I can take kids there, enjoy themselves? Yeah, 
I can. But if you want to cause trouble or make up trouble, you'll find it. Can we just clarify one thing before I jump in? She says she's probably dead now. You, you're actually coming out now and incriminating yourself that you could have got her whacked. Starting <laughs> on you. No, it was 2005 and... No. Okay, so we've gone on the basis she's 15, 18 years older now, so she's probably dead based <laughs> upon age now. Yeah. Rather than sort of like repercussions for yeah. her acts during the uh, previous campaign. Yes. Okay, okay. As long as we are not going to sort of, you know, be going down with you now, obviously sort of aiding and abetting a felon after all these years. Uh, where do we start on this? Um, I've got to be honest with you, I didn't know what was going on last night. I, I did watch the game. Well, I watched probably uh, half the game, and then I was speaking to my daughter on FaceTime and Isabel and stuff, and the game kind of just got away with me. So I didn't know what was going on in the game itself. I didn't see anything in terms of uh, looking at during the game it was going to kick off. And then when I started seeing social media, and obviously the boys were talking about this alleged incident and stuff, I thought it must have kicked right off the way that things were being said and the way that certain people were posting about the videos are circulating and clubs investigating. Okay, the guy... He, he chucked a couple of E signs, not not very nice, don't get me wrong, but it, it, the way it was made out to be on social media, as if it was like a full-on ruckus involving like loads of different people. I've been to that ring probably, I, I dread to think how many times, probably maybe even close to 100 times, I don't know, loads of times over the years. I've run many, many, many trips there, even during the highs of, of, of the big rivalry. I didn't see any problems there over the years. Yeah, there might be a few hostile fans there. That's the same on both sides. There's obviously some Cardiff fans that probably behave the way they should they shouldn't behave when they've had a few beers. When I would see things personally, I would sort of intervene and I'd stop people doing things stupid and I'd make sure it didn't you know get to the point whereby it would turn to something nasty. But I don't understand this constant need at the moment on social media to be angry and to be frustrated and to be calling people out and blah 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 blah. If things are bad, just deal with it there and then at the time. Whether you deal with it yourself, you deal with it through security. Well, it's like stuff against the social media getting magnified and, and Chinese whispers and it's just, it becomes crazy and I just don't see it. At the end of the day, it's a flipping game and I just think that people take it too far. Yeah, the guy obviously looks like he's had a few beers and he's been a bit of a dick, but what was being aimed in his direction was, was it both sides misbehaving? I don't know. I'd like to think not. I'd like to think there was no one goading. But to me, it just seemed like a very minor incident and he got dealt with by the guy getting turfed out. But the way the social media was acting, it sounded a thousand times worse than what it really was. But what do I know? I wasn't there. What happens on the ice every single game um, has done for at least as long as I've been following. You can't always hear it. Um, you can't always work out exactly what's being said. We've definitely all seen behaviour worse than that, right down from Grimaldi and Nickerson, Nielsen punching fans. Worse happens on the ice all the time. The difference is that that doesn't get you clicks. It doesn't get you any sort of content to post online. It doesn't get you followers on Twitter. Um, so every single week, someone needs to make up some kind of incident that's happened, post half a side of it, and get a couple of clicks and a couple of likes, a little bit of engagement, and try and up your profile and get some followers on Twitter. 
if anything was honestly that bad, then you, you wouldn't go back. If someone was making you that uncomfortable, you wouldn't go back. Um, you definitely wouldn't go to an away game. Um, you would probably call out security. There's no way you would stand in video with them if you were genuinely that intimidated and that offended by it. You would either get involved or you would get out of there. Um, if it's a little bit bad that you can get a couple of likes and clicks, you'll video it, you'll put it on Twitter. If it's that bad, you, you won't. So there's almost never actually anything happened. But that's Twitter for you. The worst one I've ever heard, and I, I can't remember the person, even though I won't say the name, was at an away game, doing some chants, all clean chants, and this one female, remember says, right, said, stop singing. It's a family sport. And from then on, I just, I, I'm of opinion that the, the family sports things become more a fraud than, than anything. Does do I want the sport to still be as welcoming to young families to the game? Yes, and here's here's why. Bear with me when I say that. You want them to be able to go and be comfortable and fine to a degree. They're going to hear stuff. You're going to hear stuff that you don't want them to hear because that's life. But you're going to do that in any other scenario, whether it's on the t um, on the TV. Um, or in other places, in shopping malls. Now, yeah, you, sometimes you get them kicking your chair. I got that in Belfast. Um, a bit of a loud cough or a, you know, turn around and uh, ask how they are. Stops it easily. But to me, this whole family sport, it's kind of used too much to... What's the word? To vanillaise the game and, and the, the fan experience. You go abroad. You go to Europe. And myself, Scott... And you have obviously Ross when you went to Germany to watch the, the climb. It's a lot different, you know. I mean, Christ, some of the fans would would be panicking like hell if they're going to Croatia and saw the security with AK-47s. And we had that at the World Champs. They're not used, but my God, the photos have been taken. And like you say, a bit of content for the likes and the retweets. And I just think that it's used too much to go. You, you don't do anything, don't do the chance, don't do this because it's a family sport. Well, no, it's a sport and all sports have, you know, the games get passionate. So stuff gets said. You don't want to say it, but you know, there's a lot of heat at the moment when you say, you know, screw you or other words to that effect. Is that absolutely going to destroy a young person? No, you don't. Obviously, you, you, if parents don't want to them hearing that, fine. But also it's that option of, You've got to understand if you go out where you can't control the environment, there's going to be stuff that they hear. You just have to have that conversation with them and say, that's not what you should be saying. But to me, yeah, it should be an atmosphere where young families can go to. But I think maybe it's time to cut this family sport line and, and have it what it is. You're welcome. We don't want you know it to be... And I use the sport not because of the stereotype, but kind of the hooligan element you don't want that and make it unsafe but let's not kind of make it as clean you know as, as pristine as, as some fans do make it out to be because we all know it's not let's be fair Dave the same people are probably kicking off 
were probably like if a fight kicked off five minutes before with people around them, they would go on, smash his head in. Do, do you know what I mean? It's just when it suits, when it suits to be offended by behaviour. And the reality is, I'm not defending anybody that goes to games like that. I spent as the many, many years stopping people from crossing the line. Uh, even people that I was very friendly with, I wouldn't tolerate it because that's just me. I just didn't want to sort of have Cardiff fans going away getting a bad reputation. So I took it upon myself to make sure they didn't do that. But let's be honest with you, if you go to a football match, rugby match, or whatever game, you're going to hear a thousand times worse. Mm. Let's not be naive. Let's not be like little, you know, rabbit when it cotton wool. Oh my God, he said a bad word. Worst gets said in playgrounds these days. You, you can't protect your kids from every bad word or everything that was said. They'll grow up being absolute bullied if they're not used to like these kind of words and these kind of, you know, situations. Don't put them in a, in a dangerous position. Obviously, you don't want any kids or families to be around it, but let's not over-dramatise it. Like, last night was just... It was a nothing incident, really. And the way it was going off on social media, I couldn't believe that that was the reaction to one fool that had, like, too many beers he couldn't control. I I remember back in the day, uh, Tor- Torchia, the goalie, and uh, the Blaze fans chanting about, does he want a hot dog? And he skated over and he went, go on and chuck it. It's just, you, you can't create drama out of anything. Just, how about everyone have a, enjoy themselves? And not make a drama about anything that goes on. Because that's what's happening. I think there's an element of that, Scott, that it's looking to be offended. Uh, and like, like John said, you don't want it to be. Dangerous, but it's looking to be offended. Separate issue, what you just said there. Torchy was the one person that made me want to be a netminder. Um, just out of interest. Just throwing it out there. Um, not because he was also a little bit rotund like me. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's, you see it more and more, and I think maybe social media amplifies it a bit more. There's always an incident, you know. Sheffield fans, there's always someone that's making, you know, racist allegations. Some of them have come out to be not true, and it's just, it's that looking to be offended. It's that looking, oh, this happened, oh, this happened, and it's like, no, we didn't. And it creates that kind of bad feeling. It's like, nah, go to the game. It doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't matter if you're going as a young family, go and enjoy it. If you're going to a group of friends, go and enjoy it. You know, if you're acting like an idiot, if you're acting like a dickhead, get told. You know, be here, then, you know, wind it in a bit. End of. I just think. For me, it just. Sorry, Dave, I thought you finished, and that's not me jumping in. I did honestly think you'd finish there. It just seems to me as a weekly, weekly, almost like like clockwork. Right, I want to be getting attention this weekend. Whether it be saying something stupid, posting some derogatory comments, or being offended, just just what is this constant need for attention that we have within the IHL? I don't get it. It's like, I want to be spoken about on Sunday. I want to be the person everyone's screenshot and everyone's talking about. Jesus Christ, get a life. I think, the, the, yeah, like I say, I think there's an element of that. Um, what I will say, um, you could say a lot about this this topic. I just think it's something that we need to, I think, collectively just kind of be a bit more sensible. As in how you go games and how you react to stuff. Don't rush to social media, then report it. Um, it is kind of my topic on this one. And I think we'll, we'll, we'll move on from there because, like I said, we could spend a lot of time on that one. Um, 
Any other business? Any other topics that you guys want to quickly uh, give some air time to? Okay, a lot of, lot of uh, nodding heads. Um, right, quick fire, yays, nays. Um, John, elder of the parish, yays and nays. Mm, okay, um, nays. Cardiff getting absolutely demolished. The Sky Dome, six 0 That is not what a team challenger for a, a league should be doing. Um, another nay. Daddy Stewart tonight. Oh no, the intro was 20 minutes long. Uh, we lost because the intro was 20 minutes long. Oh my god. No, you got beat 4 1, not because of the intro. You just didn't turn up. You played all your best hockey last night and you couldn't play 2 in 2. Um, yays. Um, all the teams at the top are right back in there. Yay. What a title running we're going to have now as well. And yay, good to see Ross go on tonight, smiling and happy, and I'm glad he's got a chance to come on with his team actually doing well, and I'm buzzing for him. That's my second yay. <coughs> Scott? Yay's, um, I've given him some stick this year, not in the sense that he's bad, but like Pavel Holsa, I said he hasn't won as a game, and he won as a game against Cardiff. I know he won 6-0, but it saves at 2-0. Um, that one is that game last night. Uh, Nays is we did not skate tonight against Sheffield. Uh, the second goal was just you got to skate against Sheffield, and we we allowed Sheffield to win that game as much as it wasn't a great game. Uh, second nay, fuck you, John. Those uh, intros are pathetic. You can't have a team standing out there for nearly 15 minutes. So next time, I've always said this, next time, a team that does that to us comes to Skydome, I'll do it back to them. We don't do that. We start games on time. It's, it is pathetic that they do that. Who does think they are? Didn't cost you the game, though. I'm not saying that, but it is... The uh, said that. Eh? No, he, no, he didn't say it cost the game. He didn't say that. But it's well, not right. Because it's not right. Why can't you call out something that's not right? It's been that way for many years in Nottingham. But it's Sheffield. stupid. You, the game starts at four o'clock. It should start at four o'clock. Not fucking when Sheffield. What are the coach? What are the referees doing? Oh, we'll just we'll, we'll just have a little chat. It's stupid. It's pathetic. Start games on time. Not have your stupid intro. Ross, would you like to um, interject here with your days? I don't have any news, baby. <laughs> Scotland won, Glasgow won, Fife lost, England lost. There's no such things in there this week. In fact, no, my knee is we let Fife score. Um, how the fuck did we do that? They were shit. Um, the fact that we let Fife get one goal, that's my knee. News deserve to shut out. Um, aye, that's my knee. We're letting Fife get a goal. Um, as far as years go, I don't think I've been more positive this season. Um, all we could do is sell the club. Um, this would be an absolute belter of a week. So, um, yes, um, it's the wins for Coventry and Dundee. Um, screwed my bet up, but big wins for them um, against opposition I didn't expect. 
Um, my knees. Now I got reminded of one um, from last week, which I should have mentioned. Belfast got a, a delay game penalty against Sheffield, and basically what happened was the guy, the defender for Belfast, picked up the puck behind his net and launched it out of the zone as though he shot putting it. He gets called, and the guy's like, well, what are you calling me for? It's like, not only was your shot put shit, you're not making the Olympic squad, get in the box, delay a game. It's like, what the fucking hell? Uh, my other nay, it's becoming a regular thing, but it's worth speaking. Three weeks was the last time I heard this song, uh, Hockey Rink. Sweet Caroline. It never gets better. It never gets worse. Um, someone likes it. Someone gets pleasure out of it. Fair play. Um, give me a karaoke and I'll sing it. But not at a fucking hockey rink. Anyway, um, we'll wrap up because I think Scott and John will start uh, going back and forth, which was entertaining. But by the way, Scott, it's 14 minutes to intro, not 20. Um, social media. Um, Instagram, Twitter, at Free and Free Podcast UK. Facebook, Free and Free Podcast UK. Give us a search. Give us some love. Let us know on the topic. I think tonight we've a fair few topics that may cause some discussion, may cause some disagreement. Let us know. Um, if you think we're talking rubbish, which we normally do anyway, just let us know. Um, and we do actually love to hear people's feedback. Right, Ross, um, I'm glad you've had a good sporting weekend. Thank you for your time tonight. Um, insightful, but a joy as ever. Thank you very much, mate. Thank you, gents. Appreciate it as always. Um, John, Scott, thank you for your time. Thank you for uh, whatever just happened <laughs> five minutes ago. But it was uh, enjoyable nonetheless. But as ever, thank you for your time, gents. Nice bit of sparring. Yeah, we can't all have love. Let's close the gate, boys. I think we need to for your own safety, never mind anything else. But that's it for another episode of the Free and Free podcast. <laughs>